The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Let's do it. Welcome Chiefs Kingdom to the bi-week edition of the Arrowhead Pride Podcast Network. This is the Out of Structure Podcast. I'm Matt Stagner here with RKJ. Hope everybody out there is fat, happy, and well-rested. Coming off of Thanksgiving and a Chiefs bye week, just like we are. Ron, have you enjoyed the, the holiday and the time off? Yeah, it was nice to get a little week off. I'm, I hope everyone else enjoyed their week off of, of not worrying about this Chiefs team, the uh, the ups and downs we have to go through rooting to this Chiefs team on. But, you know, I didn't get the chance last week to uh, promote the fact that Thanksgiving is the GOAT holiday, so I hope everyone enjoyed the GOAT holiday. There's nothing better than a good excuse to eat a, a lot of food, watch football, and just hang out with family. That's why it's the GOAT holiday. I don't want to hear the Christmas talk. It's all about Thanksgiving. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so I enjoyed my go holiday. How about you, Stacks? Yeah, it was pretty good. We did did a combination of the quiet day at home and, and traveling a little bit to see the family. So you know, kind of knocked it all out at once. So we'll talk a little bit about Thanksgiving today. That's on deck. Uh, also, let's look at the AFC playoff picture and see where these Chiefs are after this bye week when a lot of the other contenders were beating each other up uh, while the Chiefs were getting healthy and ready for a, a second half run. Uh, we've got lots of good questions. We'll talk through and maybe take a look at the future and and play a little game of, of uh, pay them, let them walk, or lowball them as this as this thing wraps up. We'll talk about next season and, and some of the guys we might want to see the Chiefs keep around and some we might want to see them leave. So while we're on the topic of Thanksgiving and football, let's just go ahead and jump in, Ron. We'll talk uh, about Dan Marino, Gretzky, Sautel, at Nolan Don't Care on Twitter. What do you think about the uptick in the Chiefs' defensive performance? And by the way, do you think mac and cheese belongs on a Thanksgiving table? I like this question. It's almost like a Thanksgiving meal within itself. It's got the entree, you know, in the defensive question, and then it's got a side in the mac and cheese question. Um, as, as I do on a Thanksgiving dinner, I hit the sides first a lot of the time. So I'm going to hit the side question first. Um, absolutely mac and cheese belongs on a Thanksgiving table. I don't want to hear the slander for mac and cheese. I get it. It's a pretty basic side. It's not the most, you know, exciting side. It's not the most colorful side. You know, there's not a lot that goes into it, but it's, if it's made well, if it's good cheese, good noodles, it's going to be a great little addition to your Thanksgiving plate. So you absolutely have to have mac and cheese. Shout out to my fiance. She makes amazing baked mac and cheese. Um, and I was, I was stuffing that down my throat all week, but Besides that, besides the mac and cheese takes, I'll let you get your take off. But the the, the defensive performance thing, I 
I, I think it's legit. We talked about it last week, but it's legitimate, just like mac and cheeses on a, on a Thanksgiving plate. It's absolutely legitimate. The defense is playing well, and as long as everyone stays healthy, as long as th- this group, because it's not a very deep group, but as long as this group that's playing right now continues to play, continues to stay on the field, there's no reason to believe this defense should get much worse. You know, you know, maybe they don't get aren't as good as they have been the last few games. Um, but there's this level of performance that they should be expected to play at with all these guys on the field. So, yes, this is a legitimate defensive uptick in performance, and, and it should be continuing to go on throughout the season. Yeah, maybe mac and cheese and this defense are a good analogy. You know, you think about there's the craft box mac and cheese, right, where you just take everything, you throw it together and, and uh, eat it right away. And, and it's just it just may not be as good. But if you take your time with good ingredients um, and give them time to kind of blend, right, uh, then, then eventually, um, when that mac and cheese comes out, it's good. It's good for any meal, right? It's, it's versatile. Uh, it was great with barbecue, great with Thanksgiving. Um, I'm, I'm a fan of mac and cheese on its own or as a side, uh, but maybe it's just like the Chiefs defense where it just took a little time uh, for it to come together. You got to get the blending of the ingredients over time, and I think this Chiefs defense is doing just that. They're learning how to play together, learning how to complement each other on the football field. Um, and it's only going to get better. Just like mac and cheese is great as a leftover, uh, this this Chiefs defense is just getting better uh, as time goes on. <laughs> I love that. I love that. So, yeah, so you're saying, like, maybe, like, starting Dan Sorensen at safety instead of Juan Thornhill is, like, putting the wrong type of cheese in the cheese mix. You know, maybe you accidentally throw in, a, yeah. I don't know, like a, a Swiss Sorensen cheese is, accidentally or something. I, I'm not Sorensen a Swiss is the, uh, is the powder, the powder that comes out of the craft box. Right? <laughs> oh, yes. Okay. <laughs> it's, a, it's only when you can move past that and get to some real cheese, uh, some better <laughs> ingredients, that, uh, that your defense gets better. And Chris Jones maybe at D-end instead of D-tackles, like, you know, maybe just – you know, putting the wrong sort of seasoning in or the wrong sort of, you know, uh, that that little like not maybe not as much salt and pepper. Maybe, you know, you didn't spice it up at all. It's just kind of bland, like put Chris Jones back inside. Now we're now we're spicing things up. Now we're now we're getting going. I like this. I like we should just keep going on this. We should just stop, <laughs> not stop talking about mac and cheese comparison. Got to have the heavy, heavy pepper on the mac and cheese. For some reason, that's uh, that's my go to there. All right, let's move on to Black Elf 19, Lil Boa 6624 on Twitter. Speaking of Chris Jones, uh, do you think he finishes with over 10 sacks? And can we all agree that stuffing is a disgusting abomination to Thanksgiving? There's a hot take for you, Ron. Man, well, first of all, Black Elf, uh, Lil Boa 6624, um, I'm, I'm kind of disappointed in you. You seem like you're a pretty constant questioner, but you obviously didn't listen last week because we talked about the fact that we both believe Chris Jones is going to get over that 10 sacks just because we think he's on a roll. We think he's on a tear. They finally put him back inside. He's feeling healthy every and every, you know, each and every week, the, you know, more time goes on. So yeah, he's, he's at, I believe, you know, now I don't remember, I think it's six and a half right now. Uh, he's at six and a half total sacks for the year. And so he needs three and a half over the last six games. I think that's very doable. Hey, but based on his he, last game, he'll basically get there this week. Is what yeah. About, so. <laughs> if you take yeah. his last one game pace, he's, he's on pace to hit it next week. Uh, but the other thing I'm a little disappointed in you in, in you is is the fact that you you say that about stuffing. Stuffing is amazing. Stuffing is great if it's made right. I have had bad stuffing, I guess. So maybe I should, you know, maybe you've just had bad stuffing. Maybe you 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 don't have that that in your life right now. Someone making you great stuffing. But I'm here to tell you, stuffing is great. It's the perfect side to to uh, to turkey to mashed potatoes with the gravy, you know, kind of mixed in with it too. Whew. I love me some stuffing stacks. Yeah, you know, uh, stuffing like Chris Jones is better when it's right in the middle of your plate. 
right? And you've got everything everything else around it. No, uh, maybe it's maybe it's the same analogy though that uh, this guy's tried the uh, stovetop stuffing or something, and and yeah. uh, the, the dry out of the box stuff, or it's your stuffing's all dried out. But uh, good stuffing done right, the way Grandma made it, uh, is is a great compliment to Thanksgiving, and and you can do a lot with with that. Uh, right in the middle of your plate, uh, and and uh, just making everything around it better. That's that is awesome, Stags. You're, you're we're killing these Thanksgiving analogies because <laughs> you're right. Like in in if you think about it, like in the middle, I don't know. Like I don't want the stuffing off to like the side on the edge of the plate. You know, I I, I want it in the middle so I can kind of you know get my mashed potatoes in with it, get a little you know turkey and gravy with it too. Shoot, maybe even a little cheesy corn. You know, get a little stuffing and cheesy corn together. I think that's a it's a good combo too. So you're rocking uh, the cheesy corn on Thanksgiving, really? Oh, absolutely. My mom makes amazing right. this creamy cheesy corn and i just eat way too much of it it's i just you know it's a good excuse because it's like hey it's a vegetable technically so i can eat a lot of this and not feel too bad about myself right so a lot more crossover with the barbecue <laughs> sides than i realized with the, with your uh, thanksgiving Kansas city thanksgiving like. man casey thanksgiving there you go well let's talk uh overrated underrated and just right when it comes to thanksgiving dishes uh give me your three ron Oh, man. Uh, you know, I'm probably gonna make some people upset with the overrated part of this, but, you know, I'm not a big pumpkin pie guy. I think it's overrated. I, I just don't get really get the appeal of pumpkin. I like, you know, I like pumpkin flavor stuff, uh, you know, to an extent uh, around this time, but pumpkin pie just doesn't do it for me. There's way too many other good pies. You know, one of my favorites, lemon meringue, fr- uh, you know, French, French silk pie, like that chocolate pie, you know, a little blueberry action, blueberry cream cheese pie my mom makes. It's fantastic. I just, I don't know. Pecan pie is even amazing, but I'm just, pumpkin pie is just not up there for me. Um, underrated, I have to say. Um, I, apparently stuffing is underrated um, because because Black Elf thinks so. Um, I, I, I think stuffing might be my favorite side, so I, I'm going to put that up there. And I think just right, and it's kind of a basic answer, but it's the turkey. I think I think people don't hate turkey, but also people don't love turkey. But I think it's just that one meat that, you know, it makes sense for kind of a one time a year. You kind of focus on you're not eating it all the time. I don't eat it all the time, at least. I know maybe some people do, but I just think it's that 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 perfect meat that that's pretty good. You know, especially if you do it right, you know, you get some mashed potatoes with some, some gravy with it. It's good. I enjoy it, but it's not something I'm craving afterward. You know, I'm not I'm not like, why aren't we eating turkey all the time? But it's not also something I'm being like, why do we even eat turkey? Let's eat ham. Let's eat something else on Thanksgiving. Uh, I think turkey's just right, Stags. What about you? You know, I've got turkey as my underrated uh, because I'm, I'm a big fan of the turkey when you get it right and uh, and really making the turkey sandwiches. You, know, you start with – it starts for me on day one with the rolls. You make a turkey sandwich right off the bat, but then, like, the leftover turkey sandwiches for the next yes. couple of days are key. I'm looking forward to that yet again today. Uh, <laughs> I, I may push the limits of how long you should keep eating turkey after Thanksgiving, but I'm okay with that because I do think turkey is underrated with all the focus on sides. Uh, when it comes to overrated, I'm going to say gravy. So I don't hate gravy, but I feel like if the other stuff is done right, you don't need it as much. And and it's the mm. same way I, I feel about, you know, barbecue sauce and and uh, uh, stuff like that is if, if the meat's cooked right, if everything else is done right, those flavors come through, you don't need to smother it in gravy. Uh, when it comes to just right, just right mashed potatoes, man. I I, uh, I don't feel like there's anybody that, that hates on mashed potatoes. Um, you know, it's pretty hard to get them wrong, I think. Uh, when, when you cook mashed potatoes, you can 
Yeah, and, and it, it works well with the bite. Like we talked about before with the stuffing, you can kind of work the mashed potatoes in with whatever else you're eating. So you don't have to divide your plate up. If the cranberry gets on the mashed potatoes, that's pretty good. If yes. the mashed potatoes and the stuffing are together, that's a pretty good combination. So uh, I think, I think uh, the mashed potatoes are here to stay uh, when it comes to Thanksgiving dinner. Yeah, they were almost my underrated because I love mashed potatoes. Um, and so I agree with you. Um, it's just, I, I, I think you're right on the fact that it's kind of hard to mess up mashed potatoes. Like you can have better mashed potatoes than others. Like some, you know, a, a mashed potato dish here might be better than there. But I feel like either way, it has a very high floor. You know, it's got a very, uh, you know, it's not a lot where it's just like, oh, I can't eat these mashed potatoes. Like they're always going to be good. It's just sometimes they're better than just good. But I'm with you. I love me some mashed potatoes. We're kind potatoes. of the Derek Nottie of the Thanksgiving plate, right? <laughs> just keep them coming, Sags. You're a machine <laughs> with these player analogies. Keep them coming. All right. Well, let's let's uh, take a look, a broader look at the AFC playoff picture. Now that the Chiefs have had a week off after that four-game win streak, they're right back in the playoff picture and, and really in the mix of things uh, after this weekend as things fell you know, almost entirely the Chiefs' way once again with the other contenders um, going at it this week. I think with the, the Browns were the only team that let us down, right? Yes. Yeah, it would have been nice for the Browns to beat the Ravens. Uh, that was a crap of a crap show of a game last night if anyone stayed up to watch that. I actually went to bed at halftime because I it was – an abomination that end of the first half where there was what like three straight turnovers, you know, back to back to back plays. Um, yikes, that was and it was in there for, for the Browns to take. But after that game, Ravens end up at eight and three. They're the one seed in the playoffs right now. They're the only team in the AFC with less than four losses. They have, like I said, they're eight and three. The Patriots right now are the number two seed in the AFC. They just beat the Titans, who are also eight and four at the number three seed. You got the Chiefs coming in at the four seed, seven and four right now, fresh off a of bye week. In the wild card, you got the Bengals right now, seven and four leading the way. And they actually, uh, the six seed, the Bills, have the same record as the Bengals. The Bengals just have to have a better uh, conference win percentage. And then that last wild card spot right now is to the Chargers at six and five. And they're barely beating out the Raiders, who have the same record as them right now, just because they have a better, you know, conference win percentage than the Raiders. And then you got you got teams in the hunt still, like the Raiders, Broncos, a team that everyone's kind of getting high on that's not even close or technically not even close to the playoff picture right now is the Colts because they're in the 10 seed right now in the playoffs. But everyone wants to act like they're the team to, you know, kind of be scared of right now, uh, kind of coming up. And then you got the Steelers and Browns and, you know, low key, the Dolphins are actually in it right now. Uh, you know, they're they have the Giants and Jets their next two games and it could be seven and seven. Next thing we know. That's uh, kind of funny to me that that the, the Dolphins are still in it. But all that to say, it's just it's just interesting because the Chiefs at seven and four still have a really good chance at the one seed. But even if they don't get the one seed, Stags, it, whoever gets the one seed, whoever has a higher seed than them, we've all seen that every AFC team is is susceptible to a loss this year. So just because we don't get the one seed doesn't mean we won't be hosting you know home games the entire way of the playoffs, depending on who else loses. Is that something you're thinking about, Stags? I don't know. Or, or who are we worried about, I guess, in the AFC playoff picture in terms of having to maybe go into their house? Um, you know, we, we talked about the, the top seeds, but is there someone in particular that you're kind of like, ugh, I don't wanna really want to see them? Yeah, well, first, if you look at the standings, we were uh, just talking about the fact that the Chiefs actually still have a shot at the one seed, which is preposterous given how the, the season started. But if you look at the Ravens' schedule, they're going to be playing – uh, Pittsburgh, Cleveland, Green Bay, 
Uh, they got the Rams still left on their schedule. Cincinnati yeah. left on their schedule. There's a couple losses left for the Ravens um, at eight and three. Uh, they could lose this week at Pittsburgh because those games, anything can happen. So the Chiefs will have a shot at the one seed, maybe even as early as this week if they stay winning. And so I, obviously that one seed is critically important now that there's just one buy. That is a, a, a massive deal. And so you'd like to see them continue to just win out and, and have, a, have a good chance at that one seed. And I think they would because I think most of these other teams are going to stumble at least one more time uh, before the season's over. The Titans have been really inconsistent. The Ravens have been really inconsistent. Both of those teams are going to lose more games um, between now and the end of the year. Uh, same with the Bengals and the Bills. So the only team that really scares me at this point, and it, and it feels funny to say it, but it's the Patriots once again. Uh, the Pats are playing really excellent defense. They can run the ball. They're extremely well coached, as, as you know, that's the obvious statement of the day, right? They're sitting at eight and four, and they've they've been winning in pretty impressive fashion. They're not just squeaking out wins. They they've had some really, really big uh blowouts in the last few weeks. And I think that's a team, again, they've got a tough schedule as well. They're gonna play at Buffalo. Um, they're gonna play at Indianapolis. Uh, they got Buffalo again uh, before the season's over, uh, before uh, closing out against Jacksonville and Miami. So you could see, you know, another loss or two for the Patriots, but that's a team I don't necessarily think I want the Chiefs to face in the playoffs, even with a rookie quarterback. Yeah, so ideally in that Pats scenario, you actually probably want the Pats and Bills to split because then each of them get a loss, right? And then they have each have five losses. If one of them clean, you know, clean sweeps the other, then that one team has four losses and has the tiebreaker. Well, the Pats don't have the tiebreaker over the Chiefs right now, but the Bills do. So if the Bills happen to beat the Patriots twice over the next two weeks and keep their record, then they would be jumping us in the AFC standings. But the Pats don't have any sort of tiebreaker over us right now. But the other thing, too, is, man, they have still their bye week to go. They play at Buffalo this week, and then their bye week, and then they finish, like you said, with Indian, Indian, uh, the Colts, Buffalo, all that. So it that's very, you know, advantageous, just like it is that the Chiefs got their bye week right now. It's very advantageous that the Patriots still have their bye week to go, still have that week to rest up and everything. And we speak about the Bills, though. You know, the Bills have a very tough schedule as well. You know, obviously the Patriots game, but they play at Tampa Bay in a couple weeks as well. So it is really lining up for the AFC to kind of open up as long as the Chiefs can take care of business. But at the same time, you know, they play a lot of these AFC teams. There's no more NFC teams left on the Chiefs schedule. It's all AFC. It's either AFC West or, or AFC North, I guess, because the Bengals and Steelers are the, the two teams that they have to play besides the AFC West opponents. So, yeah, no, it, it's it, that's the thing, though. It, it does seem like the Chiefs are, are in a great position to win the AFC West, at least, you know, even if they don't maybe get to the one seed. It's really hard to see them kind of falling at this point, falling on their face and not being able to secure the, the AFC West championship because they're a game ahead of the Chargers and Raiders and Broncos, all three of them, and they got games against all three of them left. Are, are we feeling good about the AFC West odds? Yeah, I mean, given this team's history in the Andy Reid era against the AFC West, I, I feel pretty solid that those are games that this team will get up for and and they'll win. And the record against the AFC West is is – um, is it still the best of any team against their division over the last few years? Uh, if it's not, it's right up there. So, mm -hmm. so yeah, I, I think the Chiefs are in a really good place to get a win against Denver and the Raiders the next couple of weeks, uh, and and really within that time frame, might be already in the one in, in the driver's seat for the one seed. But you're right; even if they don't get the one seed, 
I feel like they're going to win the AFC West. They're going to have a top two or three seed. Um, and, and really those uh, teams like the Bengals, Bills, Chargers, Titans in the playoffs don't scare me so much, um, even the Ravens. So, I mean, I, I think all of those teams are flawed. All those teams have had good wins and really bad losses this season. And so uh, I don't think you want to play the best coach team. You don't want to play the, the team with the best quarterback in the playoffs. And uh, of the remaining teams, I would say the Pats might be the best coached. Uh, but which team has the best quarterback of the of the playoff picture, other than the Chiefs, of course? Man, that that's a tough question, right? I, I think right now, you know, I think some people actually would maybe say Mac Jones right now, which I think is a little silly. Um, I think he's playing really well. But I also think the rest of the team is helping him helping him play really well right now. You know, Joe Burrow's almost up there at this point in the AFC. Um, I think Lamar Jackson before last night, I would have said Lamar Jackson. But, man, there were some really bad, questionable plays he made last night. And, and that put Baltimore in bad position. And I don't know. That's the crazy thing about the AFC this year is that it's just one week I'm thinking, oh, this guy looks like an MVP frontrunner. And the next week he looks like you know, he plays like crap. So. Um, yeah, and that's the other thing I want to mention about the AFC West is that the Chiefs better, the Chiefs need to win, obviously. I mean, this is obvious that they need to win those games, but it's even more obvious because if you look at the rest of the schedule of those AFC West teams, it's actually not too tough for some of them. I mean, I don't know. I guess the Chargers are playing, are playing at the Bengals next week, but they play the Giants in Houston besides the AFC West teams. You know, Raiders are playing Washington. They're playing Cleveland, who doesn't look like a competitive team right now. Denver has Detroit left on the schedule, too. I mean, you know, the rest of the AFC West does have an opportunity to catch the Chiefs if they can just maybe pick one game here, one game there um, to kind of, uh, you know, and beat the Chiefs one game here, like I said, and and kind of sneak up there. But it still will be tough. And, and like you mentioned, the Chiefs have dominated this division for so long. I'm sure Andy will get them up, uh, you know, to be good for this division. But, you know, right now, the best quarterback left, circle back to that point, He's he's in here in Kansas City. I mean, it's Patrick Mahomes. Uh, it, it really is. Um, you know, no other quarterback in the AFC is kind of separating himself right now, no matter how, you know, un, not good Patrick Mahomes has played recently uh, or this season at all. It seems like it's still him right now. Well, after Mahomes, though, a lot of people would maybe say Justin Herbert, right? And, and um, you know, I think on talent level, um, he's been there, but I'm not sure that he's really – getting it done in big games yet. Uh, no, and, no. And yesterday, I'll, I'll say yesterday, he, he didn't look good really at all, honestly, in my opinion, against Denver. Yeah, so then you've got Lamar Jackson not looking good. You've got Herbert uh, struggling. Um, you know, you've got Josh Allen, who's still basically Josh Allen, right? Like, he, he makes plenty of mistakes, um, still has a cannon, but, you know, you, you feel pretty good about the Chiefs' chances against any of those guys. Uh, and obviously, with the rookie in New England, um, the young guy in, in Cincinnati, you know, I, I think uh, I think any of those teams, if you face them in the playoffs, you're going to feel pretty good about the Chiefs' chances, whether it's at home, on the road, whatever seed they have. I feel like the Chiefs are going to be in good shape to make a run through the rest of the division and then make a run in the playoffs as long as they just play, the, you know, play their brand of football. And, and I think Jake's, Jake Wilson's question, that Jake for now, uh, how do you feel about the Chiefs' capacity to play complementary football? That's really what it's about, you know, is is if their defense is playing well and their offense is efficient and they're not turning the ball over, there's not a single game left that, that I would be really worried about regular season or uh, postseason. 
Yeah, complimentary football is what we used to really uh, describe the Alex Smith offense like, right? Hey, you know, good special teams, you know, solid defense, and the offense just doing enough to kind of win these games 17 to 14 or 20 to 17. I mean, that's what the Alex Smith recipe was back in those days. And, and hey, you know, I think Andy is finding maybe a way to kind of have a hybrid of that game plan with the fact that, now you have a Patrick Mahomes type of quarterback that can win you those games when, when you need to and and not an Alex Smith type that really can't. And so I think they are getting back into that where they are kind of, you know, thinking as a whole, thinking as an entire team rather than, you know, hey, offense is going to score their points. Defense just needs to do this. And then special, you know, they're thinking as a whole, you know, they're thinking, hey, the defense is playing well, so the offense is going to run like this because of that. And, you know, hey, obviously the special team is getting more and more involved, it seems like they're making more and more impact as the, as the season has gone on, the special teams has, which is really good to see. Um, Cause obviously we talked about Dave Tobe, you know, last year they were not an elite special teams unit statistically. And when you have a Dave Tobe, they need to be right. And this year they are, and, and that's good to see. And that's going to really pay off obviously in the playoffs. So yeah, right now they are playing complimentary football. It's really good to see. And they just need to continue. And I think, I, I think Andy Reid's game plan against divisional opponents will really, you know, emphasize that even more that, you know, they're going to be able to, take advantage of the of each opponent all three aspects because they're so familiar with these opponents that they've played over the last few years. Absolutely. It's they can't just lean on Mahomes. I think we've learned that uh less than the yeah. hard way starting at the Super Bowl and going through the early part of this season. There is a, a limit to what one player can do for any team, uh even Mahomes, even this team. And and but I still think as long as Mahomes is back on track, which we feel like he is, right? Like over the last couple of weeks, we feel like he's not hes not playing his best football of his career, but he's certainly not um, struggling like he was uh, at times earlier in the season. Obviously, we're going to look back statistically and say that he's, he's having as good a year as anybody else in the NFL, um, even with the struggles that he had. But as long as Mahomes is Mahomes and the defense uh, continues on the arc that they're on, then yeah, I think they're they're a, a fairly complete football team. Finally, now we, right. we also have a four W win streak at Jet Hardman on Twitter. Do the Chiefs realistically lose another game this season? So let's look again at the Chiefs' schedule. They play at home versus Denver and the Raiders, uh, at the Chargers, at home versus Pittsburgh, at Cincinnati, at Denver. How many losses do you see in that list, Ron? Yeah, if we're being realistic, I think I think it's fair to give them a loss, uh, you know, at least one loss in that stretch. I do think, you know, at L.A. Thursday night, I mean, on a short week, that is going to be tough. I do think they get an advantage because they've had this bye week and then they have two home games. So it's not like there will be a lot of traveling. It's not like there will be a lot of jet lag. Uh, but maybe and then, but then maybe they get used to not traveling and then they have to travel on a short week. You know, I don't know. Uh, so I think that'll actually be kind of a tough game, especially because, you know, the Chargers are still a divisional opponent. They still know how to play the Chiefs. You know, they played us tough over the last few years. I know it's a new coach. Obviously, they beat us early in the season. Although, if we all remember, you know, the Chiefs offense turned the ball over on their first three possessions, four overall, and probably should have won that game. Um, but, yeah, I think that's going to be a tough game. You know, if Cincinnati is still fighting for their playoff lives in week 17, um, you know, that's obviously going to be tough in my opinion because Cincinnati is a good team. You know, that, that offense will give the Chiefs defense trouble in my opinion, although – I think that's a game the offensive line for the Bengals could kind of, you know, fail them a little bit. So I would say, you know, at Chargers or at Bengals are the two games that we could probably maybe see a loss. I'd say they either they either they only lose one of those. I don't think they lose both if, if they're going to lose one to be realistic. 
Um, but I just I can't see them losing any of the home games remaining. I, I don't see that at all, Stags. Yeah, I mean, in seasons past, that last game of the season, when if they've got their playoff seating all clinched, then maybe they sit Mahomes and some of the other starters. Uh, this year, that's at Denver. Uh, that's a team that could, you know, if they have their best day against the Chiefs backups, <laughs> I think, you know, you'd be a little worried about them. You would think that they could lose that game. Um, they're going to be favored in every one of these games as, as well they should be. And as long as they don't go back to the, the you know, the massive amounts of turnovers they had earlier in the season, I, I'm, again, I'm not going to be, I'm not going to be picking them to lose any of these games, but you're right. Of the remaining schedule, the Chargers and the Bengals are probably the toughest matchups because they do have uh, weapons and quarterbacks that if they're playing well, um, you know, could, could jump up and bite you. But the rest of those teams, you know, the Chiefs are, are pretty clearly superior as long as they're not beating themselves. Uh, I think they've had a real good chance at uh, end of the season, 13-4. Uh, and four. I know. It's still weird to me that it's – 13 and 4, not 12 and 4. I'm still getting used to that. But yes, 13 and 4, which 13 wins would be, um, off the top of my head, would be one of the highest win totals in the Andy Reid era still. So, how crazy is that to think that they could still end up with one of the highest win, win totals in an Andy Reid season, you know, since he's been a Chiefs coach after the season that we've been through? It's, it's, we're, it's all right in front of them, man. It really is in KC. It's all about getting hot at the right time, right? And, and closing things out strong uh, in the regular season, getting the seeding right and, and being ready for the playoffs when they come. Let's take a quick break, hear from our sponsors, and we'll talk uh, some more questions uh, about the defense. We'll talk a little bit about the offense and play calling, and then we'll get to that game of pay them, let them walk, or lowball them on some of the pending free agents for the Chiefs in, in the coming offseason. Things are starting to come into focus there. So stay with us on the Out of Structure podcast. We'll be right back with you after this break. All right, we're back in on the Outer Structure podcast. Thanks for joining us on a on a Monday or Tuesday, you know, whichever day you're listening. Uh, we're back off the bye week in Chiefs Kingdom here. We're ready to hit the home stretch. And you guys got some questions for us to kind of bring us out of this bye week. We've already hit a few of them. Uh, but we're going to get into Thomas Cooney's question, at Thomas Cooney 4 on Twitter. And he asks, Stags, can the Chiefs put up real points, not just points, real points, when playing against a defense that plays two deep safeties, um, you know, I don't know what real points are compared to, you know, just just points. Um, but Stags, do you have any uh, you have any insight on how the, uh, the the team can put up real points and not just points against a too high <laughs> real team? point, fake points? We'll take them all as long as they're scoring and, and winning games. No, they I, I assume he's talking about, you know, 35 to 45 points a game. Those those high scoring um, explosive Chiefs offenses that we've seen in the past. I think this two deep safety thing has been a little bit overblown, um, but it is very clear that teams want to limit the big plays from the Chiefs. And it's very clear that the Chiefs have thus far been fairly unable to, to hit on, on big plays. I feel like they're getting close, though. Uh, yeah. Green Bay game, they had some deep shots that they were just a, a little bit off. Uh, otherwise, they could have converted. Uh, I think you've got you know, Andy's starting to scheme some stuff up that, that works a little bit. You know, if they're not dropping the ball and the offensive line's holding up, which, again, I think they're getting better and better as the season goes on, then this unit can get back to that 35 to 45-point range. If they're doing that the way the defense is playing, 
then, then they're not just going to win out, but they, they're going to have double-digit wins, you know, th- throughout the rest of the season. It's not going to happen every week. There are some tough defenses left on their schedule. But they have the tools to beat the two-deep safety. Some of it seems just painfully obvious uh, to those of us watching. Again, why aren't we hitting Travis Kelsey in the seam uh, between those safeties? Why aren't you taking advantage of, of the run game uh, against some of those uh, those opportunities? So I think they're doing a better job of taking what the defense gives them um, and then taking their shots when they can. And when they start hitting on some of those shots, then you're going to see the points just rack up. Yeah, I agree with your point that they, it does seem like they're getting better and better at getting taking what the defense gives them. I think it all comes back to Mahomes. I think Mahomes just for a little stretch, and like I've said before, I think he does this every year, and it just sometimes it doesn't result in a string of losses like it has this year. But he just wasn't playing very well. He just wasn't playing very comfortably, you know, within the rhythm of the offense. Seems like he's doing a lot better at that now. And and what do you know? The offense looks cleaner, more efficient. But yes, you you hit on it towards the end there, Stags. One way to get real points against a two deep high, you know, two high deep safety team, run the freaking ball. You trust Trey Smith to blow somebody up. Trust Creed Humphrey to to move a guy out of the way. Trust Orlando Brown to completely open up a hole, you know, because his huge body just lays against a dude and creates two, three yards of, of separation from where he was. Trust those guys to make holes. Trust Clyde and Daryl to get downhill and, and, and be efficient in the ground game. I think they really can. I think if they really want to trust the running game, they can do it. And I think that's an, a, a quick, nice, easy way. It'll help everybody. It'll help Mahomes. It'll help the passing game. It'll help, obviously, the running the, the offensive line, I should say, as well, because uh, they prefer run blocking at this point. Just just spam it a little more. Just run the ball a little more. I think that's the best way to, to first of all, get defenses out of that too high safety look, but also just in general to, to beat it when they are in it. Um, you know, they're, they're obviously going to have lighter boxes when, when they're in too high looks and Man, just hammer, just hammer it home, man. You know this run game; it can be that good. I just feel like the coaching staff isn't trust, coaching staff isn't trusting it yet. But I do think it's something that they could have been waiting for after this bye week to kind of implement a little more, where they just really do hammer the running game and and, and kind of force force it down people's throats. Pretty good transition here into Thomas Ramirez's question uh, at t underscore e underscore r underscore o three on Twitter. I think Clyde Edwards Hilaire will bring that missing piece back to the offense. What do y'all think? Uh, he also asks about the half season MVP on offense and defense. Uh, definitely check out arrowheadpride.com for those articles that came out this last week, going through those uh, MVPs uh, and the offensive and defensive rookies and, and a lot of other categories. There's some great pieces out by the team over this last week, talking about who those MVPs are for the season so far, but, you know I agree. If you listen to this podcast, you already know that I agree that Clyde Edwards-Hilaire is one of those missing pieces. And the more they can lean on him, get him involved early and often, I think he's a volume player. I think he's somebody that needs 20 touches a game. And if he gets 20 touches a game, you're going to get 100 yards from him. Uh, you're going to score touchdowns. Uh, and this offense is going to be really well balanced. Uh, he's still not utilized in the off, in the passing game as much as we'd like to see. Hopefully they can continue to work on that uh, as they go along. But getting Clyde back in that sort of work, workhorse role with Daryl and others as, as compliments, I think is a great way to keep this offense balanced and to, to open up some of the stuff uh, deeper uh, as teams have to respect the run. Otherwise, they'll just grind out you know 200 yards on the ground on them. 
Uh, if you've got a team that can win both ways, you got a team that can win late into January, into February. Uh, and I think this team can do that. They've shown they can do that in, in limited action. And this offensive line is built for it. So absolutely, run the ball, run CEH, uh, throw it to him, and uh, and see what that opens up down the field. Yes. No, I, I, I think I think Loki, a little silver lining in this whole Clyde getting hurt um, you know, kind of Daryl having to step up. First of all, you know, there's a, lot, a little less wear and tear on Clyde going down the, the, the season. Obviously, you know, wear and tear, you know, if it's an injury, that's that's legitimate wear and tear. That's that's tangible wear and tear. Um, but it does, you know, it, it's it gives him, I bet maybe I guess his legs are, you know, he's got a little more mileage on him for the rest of the season, maybe. So and the other part of that, too, is Daryl got into a rhythm when Clyde was gone. I do think if, if you kind of watch Daryl as the that stretch went on, I feel like he was getting more and more explosive, more and more downhill, like he was being more and more decisive. I think at the beginning of that stretch where he had to play, he wasn't hitting holes as hard. I feel like he is now. And I feel like what that does is gives you a pretty nice duo of backs where you can kind of interchange them, keep them fresh. You're never having a guy on the field that's tired necessarily or that can't give it a full go, full sprint, that sort of thing. I think you always keep him fresh. You give him a healthy rotation. I do think Clyde should be the number one guy in that sense, should be the guy getting most of the carries, most of the touches, and like you mentioned, especially in the re- receiving game. But Holmes really started to trust and get into rhythm with Daryl as a checkdown guy over these last few games. I'm telling you, if that's Clyde, I think it I think it really does open up that, that part of the offense because Clyde is a lot better, in my opinion, at making a guy miss in the flat, and all of a sudden that checkdown that should only go for five or six yards all of a sudden, it's going for 15 yards because Clyde makes a guy miss, and 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 you know everyone else is so deep trying to worry about the deep passes. So, yeah, I, I think Clyde getting back will open up the offense a little bit. Um, I don't think it's I don't think it's going to be a huge difference maker necessarily, but it will be if the team wants to commit to the run. Like I said before, allow Clyde and Daryl to kind of you know both uh, hammer home, you know, kind of make the defense tired, you know, kind of wear out the defense, and and that'll open up the passing game. So yeah, it, it all comes back to the team just being more willing to run the ball down the stretch. They got to be willing. They're definitely able. And, and I think a lot of that, again, comes back to that offensive line. You've just got some people movers there and some guys who love to finish in the run game. You've also got receivers and tight ends who are willing to block and willing to get out in space and, and uh, have really shown, you know, uh, from Noah Gray, Byron Pringle, Demarcus Robinson, uh, Kelsey, of course, uh, Blake Bell, you've got a lot of, of receivers and tight ends that are doing work in the in the blocking game, especially uh, on runs and screens. And so you've got all the infrastructure there. It's just a matter of it's just a matter of being efficient about it, being less predictable about it, and sticking with it as, as the season goes on. You've got Hedgy. A quick question from Hedgy Hedgy YT on Twitter: What about Kyle Long? When will he see the field? <sighs> All that your guess is as good as ours. Uh, no, he did start practicing a few weeks ago, so I think it's I think it's coming up where he has to be activated or it's a cut. Am I? I, I think I'm correct on that. Um, because his his window opened up. Am I, I? I I got that right, right? Stags. His window opened up. They started practicing him. Right. I mean, he was on the practice field. Yeah, he's been out there. Uh, the yeah. window to activate him. It's not necessarily cut. It's more that he'll be on uh, IR the rest of the season if they don't activate oh, okay, him. Okay. So got it. But. You know, it's going to be tough for him, right? You, you've got some rookies playing at a really high level. Um, the only scenario I see where Kyle Long sees the field is if Lucas Niang and um, Mike Remmers are still not healthy and they got a hole at right tackle. 
I think I'd rather see a healthy Kyle Long than Andrew Wiley at right tackle. Um, but you're not taking Trey Smith out. You're not taking uh, Joe Tooney out. You're not taking out you know any of the any of the guards. The rest of that line is completely solidified. So it's really just about the health of the right tackles. Yeah, and that's still tough, right? Because you know Wiley hasn't been great, no nowhere close. I actually think in both the Raiders and the 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 last game, the Cowboys game. Uh, you know, he, I know the Raiders game, it looked like he played better. I think, I think the offense just really helped him out in that Raiders game. He was still getting beat quite a bit. Uh, Max Crosby still had a ton of pressures. So all that to say, uh, I, I still do think maybe the team would trust Wiley still just because long hasn't played in two years. Um, you know, I think they still would lean towards Wiley. So that's all that to say. I mean, is I don't know if long will even see the field at all, unless there's even more injuries past Niang and, and Remmers. So, I don't know. Long might just be along for the ride for to get try to get a ring. Good for him, right? I mean, shoot, might as well. Yeah, I mean, we've seen in years past that it takes it takes a lot of different offensive linemen sometimes as the season wears on, yes. and so you don't want to be in a situation where they're in January and you know uh, Andrew Wiley is the best player they have, or or he's uh, injured, uh, and then they're going down the line and you're starting, you know, Prince Tega or, or one of those guys that just hasn't uh, hasn't seen the field much, so. Kyle Long gives you a really nice insurance policy there. So we'll we'll take it, and and good for him if he's able to get active, uh, even if he's uh, activated onto the, onto the roster, um, but not yet a game day uh, active or, or sort of waiting his turn. I still think he's a valuable piece to have on this team for that playoff run. Uh, Chiefs mash forever at Chiefs underscore mash 85 on Twitter. Um, been a while, gentlemen. Yeah, Thanks for asking questions. This guy is always out there uh, putting in good questions for us. Uh, who's the best rookie so far this season? Veach had himself a draft. Do you think after this draft, it gives more confidence for fans moving forward after some failures? Uh, I'm, I'm ad-libbing here a little bit, but after failures like Hardman and Breland speaks. So we did talk a little bit again on those articles this last week about some of the best rookies that we've seen so far this year. For me, it's pretty simple that it's Creed Humphrey. I mean, he's, he's, not only playing like the best rookie at his position, but he's playing like the best player at his position in the NFL. And if you're doing that, even if it's at center, uh, that's uh, that says a lot. Uh, but this does have the, all the look of a really stellar draft class for Brett Veach, even without the big influence of skill players like um, like Noah Gray hasn't necessarily started performing. Uh, as far as from a playmaking standpoint yet. Uh, and you've got your your wide receiver that we were all excited about still on the practice squad, hasn't yet had his opportunity. So even with the skill players not stepping up, uh, they really knocked it out of the park with their offensive line and the linebacker pick that they've made this year. I really do think that we're starting to see those returns. And for everybody that was doubting Brett Veach earlier in the season, it's really just been about giving those players time to develop and you're starting to see the fruits of your patience there. Yeah. I think in terms of uh, confidence moving forward, because I, th I think there was a way you could look at Beach's draft history and say, okay, he's gotten better every year, right? He's, he's gotten more and more. He's found more. I mean, last year's draft too was great. I mean, talking about Snead, talk about Mike Dana in the sixth round or fifth round. I think it was fifth round. Um, you know that I know Clyde in the first round right now, may not be the 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 most uh, exciting pick and especially when you have a guy like Jonathan Taylor who looks like an MVP candidate uh being you know a guy that they could have drafted in that spot but 
all that to say, you know, I think you can look and say, oh, okay, Veach has gotten better at the draft, and and that's good. You know, it's good to see Veach, you know, be be a a, a better drafter as as his time as a GM move forward because Speaks was his first draft pick ever. Hardman was, you know, in his second draft ever. All that to say, though, I know he's hit on guys this year, but it's been at positions that aren't super high value positions. You know, you know, you, linebackers and interior offensive linemen aren't guys that are making a huge difference uh, in, in terms of the success of a team. You know what are and, and they have helped this year. I'm not trying to say they haven't, but it's not a premium position like edge rusher, like a Breland speaks where he swung. It's not a premium position like wide receiver, like McCole Hardman, where he swung and missed. Um, those kind of, you'd like to see him and I know, and, and Hey, we just haven't seen it yet. He has a whole, a few more drafts, obviously to, uh, to show it to us, but I just like to see, you know, him hit on, on bigger value positions. Right. I, you know, it, it's nice to get, and, and Legereus need is a good example actually, because cornerbacks a very high position value and, and he hit on him in the fourth round and he looks like one of the best slot corners in the league. Um, but it'd just be nice for him to hit on a wide receiver, you know, a, a big playmaking wide receiver, like a, a DK Macaf or a Terry McLaurin, uh, you know, or, or, or an edge rusher, you know, I know there was a few in that draft that they could have grabbed too, but all that, I, I guess I'm just saying it's, it's a good start. It's a, it's a nice uh, sign of things to go of moving forward, but I, I'd really like to see Veach hit on a, a higher uh, position of value in the draft before I really say, Hey, you know, it's, it's all turned around. We shouldn't worry about him at all. Yeah. In some ways he's zigged where, where everybody else would have zagged, right? You've got, some of these positions, you know, I don't think I would have had a linebacker as the first pick, especially yeah. a linebacker who we thought was going to be a, a two down linebacker um, as the first pick in the draft for the Chiefs this year. Nick Bolton's worked out really well. I mean, a little bit of crow on that. I think he's been better than I expected him to be and more of an impact player. But it is still a predominantly run stopping player that is uh, going to be part time for the foreseeable future. And so. I hear that argument and, and I don't totally disagree with it. Again, I even recognize in this draft that the skill position players have yet to really pay off uh, as well as the trenches have is he is, he kind of gets that tunnel vision, right. And he sees an issue and, and addresses it. And that's the McCall yeah. Hardman pick all over again. Yeah. McCall Hardman was picked largely because there was uncertainty around Tyree Hill. Uh, at least we think. Uh, and it was clear that it was a guy that they thought could develop into that same role as Tyreek did or have the same sort of developmental path and do some of the same things on the field that Tyreek has, whether it's the fact that Tyreek has always been here uh, or other factors around McCall Hardman's development, it hasn't really panned out that well, but uh, you know, he is still on the team. He's still contributing. You know, I, I think he's, he's more of a role player than you would like to see as opposed to an every down difference maker. Obviously the Breland speaks pick was, was a bad one and has not played out. Uh, the way they expected to, especially given the fact that they traded up uh, for Speaks, they traded up for Hardman. Uh, so, you know, every GM is going to have his swings and misses. Everybody raves about Bill Belichick's success uh, and how well the Patriots have drafted over his tenure. But the, that team has whiffed more at wide receiver than just about anybody else. Uh, they've also had some misses at running back, uh, yep. misses at, at, at uh, corner and other positions. So nobody bats a thousand when it comes to the draft. I think Veach is a competent talent evaluator. And I think he has a good handle on what this team needs and really goes out and addresses those things. And for that reason, uh, I feel pretty good about him as the GM moving forward. 
uh, and hopefully he's learning from some of those mistakes and, and maybe the home run that they get next year, um, like they got on Trey Smith this year or Legereus Sneed last year, maybe that home run pick next year uh, is at receiver or at, uh, at another position uh, like edge rusher where they really need to, to make some hay over the next couple of years. Yeah, absolutely. No, I, I, I would say that edge rusher is a thing that we need to be stocking on. Um, you know, he doesn't want to do cornerback, uh, you know, and, and I guess it depends on how they handle Charvarius, which, you know, is a good transition to our next, uh, next, uh, our next segment. Let's just, let's just go into that. Cause I, I am interested. I kind of want to get into to the pay him, let him walk a low ball. I'm gonna let you set it up. Yeah. So Jacob Millam uh, at J mill, the ham on Twitter do the Chiefs re-sign Byron Pringle following this season? So this question about Byron Pringle made us think about the other pending free agents. The Chiefs have a long list of free agents that are that are set to hit the market next season. Some of them big names, some of them role players. Some you'd probably like to see them move on from. Whether they do or not is to be determined. But we picked out 10 names that we wanted to talk about. And, and we'll start with Byron Pringle as Jacob's question. Uh, Byron Pringle, would you want to pay him, let him walk, or shoot him a low ball offer, and and let him stay only if he's a, only if he's on the cheap? Uh, and to to get add a little context to that, we use Spot Track, and they estimate Byron Pringle being worth a one year deal at three point three million dollars, so a pretty good raise over where he has been in the past, but still a one year deal uh, at three point three uh, at that rate. Do you think they should pay Byron Pringle, uh, lock him up for a longer term, or, or or let him walk? Yeah, at that rate, I say it's a good rate um, because if you think about it, uh, you know the rest of your receiving core, you're not really paying anything to. Um, you know, McCole Hardman's still on his rookie deal. You know, we'll talk about a few other names, but they're free agents, so they're not on the the cap right now. Uh, you know, uh, you know, for 2022, they won't be on the cap as of this moment. Um, so I actually like that, and and especially if you. If he's on the same pace he's on right now, because uh, he's pretty much a Chiefs wide receiver too, and and he, it's pretty obvious. I mean, it, they've it's it's gotten to the point where he is he's by far the 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 guy they rely on the most as that second wide receiver, snaps wise and targets wise in the last few weeks, uh, not over the entire season. But if he continues that pace, I don't even know if if the deal will be that cheap. I think other teams might try to pay him a little more and get him out of here if he's the wide receiver too in Kansas City, and and we do happen to continue playing well. Um, so if we can get him for one year, 3.3, I think that's great because I think he, he, he I, he's not going to be wide receiver two. He shouldn't be long-term, but I think that's, that's where Beach needs to come in and draft a guy and have him as the wide receiver two, Tyreek as wide receiver one. And then Pringle can be that, that third or fourth guy that you can rely on, you can trust on, but isn't supposed to be a, a you know, a game breaking type of player, just a guy you can kind of trust to be like that. So yeah, I like, I like Pringle one, uh, one year for 3.3 million for sure. He's a good role player. I mean, all the th- little things that he does to help this team that sometimes go unnoticed, even if he's not making big catches, he's out there blocking, he's playing special teams, he's a good returner, um, can do a little bit of everything. Uh, and when he is targeted, he seems to have strong hands, right? Like he, he goes up and gets the ball and uh, takes a hit and, and doesn't, uh, doesn't fumble uh, generally. So, you know, those are all characteristics that you like to see with this team. It seems pretty basic. I keep my expectations low around Pringle. One interesting dynamic is going to be over the next few games. Does Josh Gordon break out? I know yeah. it's we've been asking that question all season. Hasn't happened whatsoever. But if the expectation is that that Gordon after the bye week 
will start to have a bigger, bigger role when it comes to targets. And really, maybe he does evolve into that wide receiver, too, that they can use down the stretch. Maybe that helps keep Byron Pringle, uh, his, his value down, keeps him in that third role. Uh, it's very clear that the team's been trying to upgrade over Pringle and Robinson and the other wide receivers that are down the depth chart. And so, you know, I, I, I think he might be one of those players that has more value to the Chiefs than he does the rest of the league. And the rest of the league may not see uh, all the little things that he does for Kansas City. And again, if they've got somebody else, anybody else, taking that wide receiver two role, then he shouldn't be too expensive to resign. No, I, w- I wouldn't think so. Um, so I think that's a, I think that's a good wrap up on Pringle. I'll, I think the next one should be a little easier. Um, <laughs> we we kind of paired them together because they go hand in hand. You know, Ben Neiman and Dan Sorensen are both free agents this year. Um, I think it's pretty easy for us to say, hey, you know, don't sign either of them. And I think that's where I would lean. I would think, hey, just just let them walk. You know what? The problem is here is that Spags, you know, in his dime defense, we've talked about this before, in his dime defense where there's six DBs on the field, over the last three seasons, he has trusted Dan Sorensen to be that third safety and Ben Neiman to be that that lone dime linebacker in those personnel packages. It's been the same way since I want to say 2000, you know, since he came into the fold, you know, Spags came in the, uh, you know, to the Chiefs organization. It's been that way. And so that makes me a little worried that Spags is going to say, hey, I can't lose both of these guys in my dime package. And so I, it makes me think that maybe he'll try to resign one of them, or maybe he'll try to, you know, talk, you know, Veach into resigning one of them, obviously. But I say, you just let them go. You replace them with either draft picks or maybe just a, you know, a, a cheap veteran, whatever, you know, Neiman's role should actually be replaced by Willie Gay, but a third safety, you know, that, that is not on the roster right now. They definitely need to either draft a third safety or, or sign a guy that's not Sorensen. Because um, Armani Watts is also a, a free agent, but I don't think anyone's considering him as a third safety replacement. All that to say, let him walk. We'll figure it out later. But either way, the solution, you know, the, the replacement for these two players is it will be a more exciting, you know, answer or solution than just keeping them here, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, we can sit here all day long and say let him walk and uh, have a lot of confidence about our decision and feel good about it. And I think most of Chiefs Kingdom is going to cheer that uh, that sentiment and, and agree with us. Uh, the problem is we mentioned Byron Pringle as a player that may have more value to the Chiefs than, than other players uh, or other teams. I think the Chiefs coaches probably think that Ben Neiman and Dan Sorensen both fall into that category, that they're role players that are important to this team, um, and they're, they're going to have more value here than anywhere else. You'd assume that both guys would be interested in re-signing with the Chiefs. Both guys would be relatively cheap. And the team is going to say, that's a nice security blanket. Uh, Two players that know the defense, that can play a role, you know, and hopefully a more limited role. So I'm not arguing that I would want those two guys to come back. But I'm saying, don't be surprised if the the, the, the coaching staff of the Chiefs makes that decision that these are guys that they want back on the cheap. So I I would think that the team's approach is probably going to be to lowball both of those guys to say if you know if you're willing to come back for for vet minimum or or something you know not too far above that, then I think the the coaching staff would welcome both of them back, uh, whether we like it or not. Yeah, that's that's what I'm worried about for sure. I think that's that's absolutely possible, but. Um, and, and I don't think you have to preface uh, you saying, you know, I don't think anyone's 
uh, worried about you arguing that we should keep them. So I'm just saying. Um, we, we've been clear on that fact, yeah. Um, yeah. So Tyron Matthews, the next one on the list uh, that we wanted to talk about, you know, this has been, you know, uh, the extension that everybody's just been waiting for. There's really hasn't been a lot of debate about whether or not they should keep him. Um, except for that period of time when the defense was playing really poorly, you had a, a handful of play of, of Chiefs fans and pundits saying, blow the whole thing up. It's obviously not the right combination on defense. Let them all walk, including Matthew, and, and start over. You reallocate that money to other players. Now that this defense is coming together and we're starting to see the vision that the coaching staff had all along, Tyron Matthews is a big part of that. Uh, are we still 100% in agreement that they should re-sign Matthew, even if it's a, uh, a market-setting uh, deal? Yeah, you know, off the top of your head, you're like, oh, duh. I mean, yeah, keep Matthew for sure, right? It, it is it is something the Chiefs are going to have to monitor in terms of just, you know, the future, in terms of looking into the future and seeing who else they have to be paying, um, you know, in, in the distant future. You know, if you think Juan Thornhill is a, a guy that's going to be, you know, a, a player for you, you're going to have to sign him in a couple, you know, actually the offseason after next. Um, actually, if anything, now that I think about it, uh, you probably want to extend him this offseason because he is on the last year of his rookie deal next year in terms of Juan Thornhill. Um, so that you got to think about that. You got to think about Legarius Sneed. You know, he's going to be getting paid soon in that secondary. You know, you want to keep him. I mean, he seems uh, definitely like a guy you want to extend as soon as possible. You know, hey, if they make a decision on Trevarius Ward, although we're going to talk about him. All that to say, like, it is tough because he is in his 30s. He's a safety in his 30s. You know, it, it's he, you're you're almost paying him almost at the peak of his entire career, considering he's coming off two all pro seasons. Man, it's tough. Like, I I, I don't you know, I, I think they got to be a little smart with their money. And one way they might have to do that is by deciding between a few of these big name guys. And man, Tyron's going to be able to ask for a lot of money. I don't know if, if he's the guy that's going to want every single penny that he's earned or deserved, because if that's the case, I don't know if the Chiefs are the team, a suitor for him. And since it's gotten to this point where he's going to be an open market free agent, you know, it's it, the extension, I guess, still could happen, I think, during the season. But it's obviously doesn't seem like it's going to. So if he's competing against other teams, if the Chiefs are competing against other teams, man, it's more and more, you know, it's less and less likely that he'll be resigned. I'd love to see him resigned, but I think you have to lowball him to an extent because you need to save some of this cap in the future years for younger guys that are actually going to be going into their primes rather than you're kind of paying Matthew as he's leaving his prime a little bit. Yeah. I mean, I, I think there's some value in a three year deal for, for Matthew at this point. Uh, and so the option to backload that when I think the salary cap is going to go through the roof over the next couple of years as gambling money and TV deals and all of that stuff comes in, you know, this, um, this cap trouble that the chiefs are having is, is fairly temporary. So I would personally want to see them sign him the sooner the better for, for next season to have that low year while they function, you know, they work around all these other deals. Um, but yeah, a three-year deal at the most, uh, maybe cuttable after the second um, is the type of contract that I think you would, you'd want to see for Tyron Matthew. I still think he's really important to this team and I think they believe that. So I got to think something gets done um, over the, the course of the off season. I think the staff has been pretty clear that that negotiation is, is not happening right now. It's going to happen later uh, in the offseason. So 
Let's run through some of these other guys. Uh, Jaron Reed is going to be a free agent after this season, that this one-year acquisition so far. I think he's playing better now, but would you would you pay him? Would you let him walk or would you lowball him? Let's let's pair this with Derek Naughty real quick because I think oh. it's one of it's one of the two, in my opinion. I don't think you can pay both of them. I think both are gonna be able to demand, you know, multi-year deals. Maybe not Reed, but either way, right now I, I think I would let Reed walk and pay Naughty. As much as Naughty is not really a pass rushing type, and that's not the kind of you know, you you want to pay guys that can get after the passer in, t- in today's NFL. Guys that can run stuff, you can kind of find a dime a dozen. That said, Derek Naughty's really damn good. <laughs> so I think yeah. I really I think I want him at the middle of this defense tags. What do you think? Yeah, I, I would I'd probably lowball Jaron Reed because I think he's a guy that can play and and it wouldn't hurt to have him back for another year. Uh if he gets a better deal somewhere else, great. You know, we'll take the, the compensatory pick. If not, um, then you know he's a good part of that rotation. I think Derek Naughty probably is in line for an extension uh, and maybe a substantial one. And I wouldn't I wouldn't be opposed to them paying him. Uh, although there's a couple guys in the draft this year, uh, a little guy out of Georgia that might be a, a, a nice a, a nice replacement if they decided to move on from Derek Naughty. But we'll we'll get to draft talk later on in the season. Let's hit a couple of these other names real quick. Melvin Ingram uh, has really come on as of late. Free agent after this season, would you pay him? Let him walk? Would you lowball him? I'd lowball him. You know, see if see if he wants to come back on a cheap deal. Um, he's in his 30s. You don't want to pay him too much or anything. You don't want to give him a multi-year deal, in my opinion. But yeah, lowball him. See if he wants to come back and try to win another one. You know, Charvarius Ward. We talked a little bit about the secondary earlier. There may be some other guys looking for big paydays. Uh, what do you do with Ward? Man, this is tough. Uh, I think if I'm the Chiefs. I think you lowball him or you just let him walk because I think right now, if he continues to play like this, he's going to be one of the top cornerbacks in the entire free agent market. And Brett Veach, his entire Chiefs career, he does not want to pay or invest in the cornerback position. He he signs uh, one year veteran deals for cheap. He he he's drafting guys later in rounds. Not you know he he just doesn't invest a lot in the cornerback position, and it's worked so far. So in my opinion, there's no reason to see that he's going to go away from that strategy. So I, I can't I can't see them re-signing Ward if, if he continues to play like this. Yeah, I, I agree. I think Fenton is another player that uh, has come on to the point where you could you could roll with Fenton in a bigger role uh, and and let a guy like Ward walk and draft you know another fourth round fourth round defensive back and hope they turn into another uh, luxurious Sneed, right? Uh, Demarcus Robinson, uh, Spotrac estimates him at two years, two point nine million. At that price tag, do you pay Demarcus? Do you let him walk, uh, or do you shoot him a, a vet minimum contract and say, "There's a spot for you if you really want it." You politely lead him to the door. You close it very, you know, uh, yeah, nicely. <laughs> you know, there's no slamming doors or anything. You don't kick him out of the door. But yeah, come on, guys. Let's not let's stop wasting snaps on Demarcus Robinson. Get younger guys in here. Get guys that can actually develop into something for Mahomes and let them snap it up. So nope, do not even allow Robinson back in the building after this year ends. Yeah, I think he was their fallback option this year, and they ended up having to fall back because of all the big name free agents that chose somewhere else over Kansas City. Um, yeah. Let's hope that next year that process goes smoother. And they're able to add the the guy that they really want and, and don't have to fall back on Robinson for another year. Uh, Daryl Williams is a free agent. We talked about him in the running back section. Uh, Daryl, the barrel Williams or, or whatever nickname you have for him. Do you pay him, let him walk, or you lowball him? 
You know, I think you lowball him. You know, I just think hey, if you can get him back for maybe a one year deal um, for cheap, because um, I, I don't see why he demand a lot on the market. So yeah, lowball him. I think him and Clyde are actually a, a, a nice. They complement each other. They're they're a good duo of backs. And if you don't have to worry about the running back position outside of your top two backs. You know, it's nice. It's nice to not have to worry about having having guys there. Um, I know some people would argue you'd want a better playmaker back there. I think they're good enough to just say, hey, let's stick with them, you know, through Clyde's rookie deal at least. So, yeah, I mean, having two good running backs on the roster going into the draft may prevent them from spending another high draft pick on a <laughs> running back. And so I think that would make a lot of folks happy. Uh, good complimentary piece. Um, somebody that you that's not going to hurt you to keep around if you can do so on the cheap. Finally, let's end with the big contract, uh, the one deal that may break the bank. Uh, Orlando Brown Jr., uh, Spotrack has him estimated at five years, 19.2 per, so right around $100 million uh, over a five-year term. Uh, how are you feeling about extending uh, the big guy, the big left tackle at this point, given how he's played? Man, I think right now, I think <sighs> – I think I'd just franchise tag him and 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 play on that franchise tag, uh, you know, next season and and make him prove for two straight years that he can be a, a, a you know a, a legitimate up you know upper tier left tackle. I think right now he's he he's working his way towards that. You know, you're not seeing the greatest pass protection reps at at times, which is a little scary because you know that's what matters in Kansas City. You know, he's he's a great run blocker. We all know that, but we need to be he needs to be a good pass protector. And you know, there are some snaps that's eh. But I think he is on his way. I think eventually, after this season, I think once we see the entirety of the season, I think I will say, all right, let's just pay him. Let's just get it over with. He's good enough. He's a young guy. He's going to get better. Let's just get that out of the way. Let's not even franchise. Well, I bet they will franchise tag him either way and then sign him later in the offseason maybe. But I, right now at this current moment, I, I don't want to sink. I don't want to put all that investment into him you know, blindly yet because I do think he needs to show a little more as a pass protector before we – sign him to that deal where it's going to be hard to get out of for, you know, a long time. And if we, if he's not a good pass protector at left tackle, that's going to really hinder the offense for, for the long term. I might be in the minority here, but I really love the idea of having this entire offensive line locked up for the next four or five years. Yes. And I think that they're getting better. They're playing together as a group. Uh, he's starting to understand how to play with Patrick Mahomes, which we've all learned is not the easiest thing to do for a tackle I think they pay him, and and even if it costs you a little bit, you can check the box and say, all right, the offensive line is built. It's done for the long term. You know, you can continue to rotate the depth pieces, but you know you've got your starters. You know you've got continuity there, which I think is a, a real valued asset in the NFL, continuity across the offensive line. And so he can give you that. Like you said, he's young and improving. Um, people will whine about the overpay, but if they – if they spread that money out and they lock him in now, in a couple of years, you might look back and say it's a bargain. I don't yep. like it when they wait until the last second and then they have to pay top dollar to keep a guy from hitting free agency. Uh, so ideally, like you said, you franchise tag him and then you negotiate in that period off of that franchise tag and get the deal done before you run out of options. The long-term deal is a lot more cap friendly than a franchise tag anyway. Uh, and so in this year when the Chiefs are going to be up against the cap, I'd really like to see them just get his deal done, lock him in, and then focus on other positions in the draft like edge rusher, like wide receiver. Yeah, I'm totally with it. No, I, I, I do like the appeal of just you have five guys, you know what they are, and you have them together for an extended period of time 
in, in this instance, you know, it'd be at least four years. Uh, you know, if Brown gets signed, it'd be at least four years. So it, it is pretty, pretty crazy and, and pretty, you know, exciting to think about that. Um, it's just, I don't want to just sign Brown just because we already traded for him. But at the same time, he has that leverage to kind of be like, hey, you sent a first round pick for me. Are you really going to let me walk? I want to ask for the highest amount I can possible. It's just, that's the scary part about trading for guys before they're signed. Um, but at the same time, if Brown, if Brown deserves it and Brown is going to protect Mahomes and, and not let him, you know, get hurt or anything, which is obviously the most important thing, then he's worth whatever amount of money you give him because there's nothing it, the, the, the ability to keep Mahomes clean and, and injury free for the most part, obviously it can't be completely avoidable, but for the most part is priceless and you can't put a price tag on, on protecting your franchise quarterback. You bet. It's been a lot of fun seeing those guys out there mauling people, uh, putting highlights on the on the film. And hopefully next week we're back here talking about these guys mauling some donkeys uh, in another Chiefs victory Monday. Uh, so let's wrap up there. Uh, thank you for spending some time with us. I hope everybody, again, enjoyed their holiday uh, and are, enjoyed the bye week and are all rested up just like this team and just like Andy Reid and the Chiefs coming back strong out of the bye week. We'll attempt to do the same. So tune in next week. In the meantime, make sure you rate and review. Enjoy the rest of the Arrowhead Pride Podcast Network and uh, all the great content on the site. Uh, And be back with us next week on hopefully another Victory Monday for these Kansas City Chiefs.